Well, good morning. I was kind of hoping that video was a little bit longer. I wasn't ready yet. I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, if anybody is in uh, Kidmo still in the room, you guys are dismissed. Second, uh, well, actually, I think it's first through fifth grade now. If you guys want to head on back. If you're a guest, uh, we welcome you. If you have kids that age, if you would like to uh, kind of accompany them back. And uh, my kiddo's going to Kidmo. He had to give me a wave there. Um, if you'd like to come in the back, kind of see where they're going to be. Uh, the teachers would be glad to have you and kind of show you what's going on there. Um, welcome this morning. Uh, before we get started, I want us to kind of open up in a word of prayer, just kind of get our minds ready for uh, the word and what the Lord has for us. Okay, so you guys to join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this time uh, that you can allow us to come and freely worship you. Uh, we thank you for this place in which we are able to gather and God pray and uh, just pray that you give us uh, ears to hear and just open hearts to what you have for us in your word today. God, we love you and we praise you. We pray that uh, the worship this morning is just a fragrant offering to you, Lord. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. All right, uh, in case you're wondering who I am and what I'm doing up here and why the announcements have already happened and I'm up here now, my name is David. Uh, serving us as our student pastor with my lovely wife, Stephanie, uh, which, by the way, um, today is our anniversary, uh, 12 years married to this, this lovely lady. Um, I can, you can't get up on stage and have a mic and not mention that if that's the day, right? So, uh, but then it's, I've just been blessed and it's so great. Glad to have her as my partner in life and in ministry and in everything that we do. Um, also, I uh, want to welcome my folks. Uh, Dennis and Wendy Henderson are in the, the house today. Uh, just want to welcome them to be with us. Um, any, anything that you guys perceive that I am, hopefully that's, that's maybe good uh, is uh, because of this man, so... Uh, anyway, just wanted to let them know that uh, we love them and that they're, we're glad that they're with us today. Um, just to kind of give you guys uh, a little bit of background as far as if, you, if you're just kind of catching up with us uh, now, but maybe for the first time, we're uh, in the book of Philippians. Uh, this is uh, part five, I think. Uh, it seems like it's been short but long at the same time, right? Um, but we've just kind of kind of gone right on through from the very beginning and we're making our way through. We're looking to see what, you know, what kind of truths do we see, we're kind of taking a, um, in addition to a teaching, also a, a Bible study kind of approach to it, if you will. Um, part of what we wanted to do when we, when we planned out this series was to really kind of guide, you know, how do we get into Bible study? Really good, deep Bible study. And going through a book is a good way to do that from the stage and to try to do that together. Um, if you recall kind of how we started uh, with this, we had six basic questions that Mark presented from the get-go that we kind of wanted to tackle, okay? Uh, which, by the way, I haven't mentioned this yet. Uh, if you've got a phone or tablet, we've got version. Uh, everything should be up and running there. So if you want to join us on that, you can. You can keep up with notes. That way, you can also email them to yourself if you want to look back at them later. Uh, the six basic questions. Uh, and this is, obviously, we've kind of personalized these for the book of Ephesians. But this is applicable to any kind of book that you are looking at, okay? And you just kind of have to consider... Who is uh, who the, the writer and audience is here? First of all, who's writing this letter? Well, we know it's Paul, right? The Apostle Paul. Okay. Who is he writing to? Uh, writing to the believers at Philippi that have been supporting him up to this point. Now, I don't know that we've really done this yet. I don't think that we have. Um, it's kind of a pop quiz for you guys. Anybody know what kind of the things that happened at the Church of Philippi? We kind of talked about some of the relationships. We talked about uh, a little bit about Epaphroditus last week, I think. Um, and some of the people that Paul have come alongside in that uh, in his time there, and in some of the other the, the mission work that he's done and the church planning that he's done. 
Okay, no hands, so I guess we're, I'll just kind of throw it out there for you. Uh, if you go back to Acts 16, uh, you can read about the relationship that Paul has formed with some people and kind of the, uh, the beginning, if you will, of the church at Philippi, okay? Um, I thought about reading that this morning, but it's kind of long, and you know, I, didn't wanna, I, didn't, I wanted to kind of stay on point. So I'll let you go back and do that, but just to kind of pull out a few points for you. Um, Paul is on one of his missionary journeys. It's actually his second missionary journey, and he uh, and his uh, group are at Troas, when this all begins, uh, and he actually has a, uh, a vision of a man calling him to come to Macedonia, which is where Philippi is located. Okay, um, so he and Silas, who's with him at the time, um, go to Philippi, and this is where the church begins. Does anybody remember who else was with him at the time? It was Luke, and we know that. It's, it's kind of, you don't think about that, right? Because we know Luke wrote Acts, right? Well, if you pay attention in that in that part of Scripture, when you, anytime you start to hear. We went and we this and that. You know that Luke is now with them when they are on their their missions. So you pay close attention to that third and the third person that he often writes in, but also that that second and first person at times. You'll know when he's present. Uh, if, if you remember a, a young lady named Lydia, I don't know if that name rings a bell. Uh, Paul uh, shares the gospel with Lydia. She and her family receive it and are baptized. That happens at Philippi. And a story that you're probably more familiar with, uh, Paul and Silas are actually beaten and thrown into prison. Again, at Philippi, right? Okay, and the story goes on. Uh, they're singing hymns while they're in prison together. Uh, this massive earthquake happens, and all the, the prison doors just kind of uh, magically open up, right? And all the prisoners are free to go. The warden kind of freaks out, and he's like, uh, he, he's thinking he's going to be in trouble. So he's about to take his own life. And then Paul's like, no, 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 don't do that. Paul stops the man from essentially committing suicide, shares the gospel with him. He and his family receive it and are baptized. I mean, how awesome a story is that? All these things happen uh, as, at the beginning of the church uh, in Philippi. We see things kind of go on from there. Uh, that's about halfway through the book of Acts, if, uh, if you've read or studied that or if you want to go back to that. Getting back to our questions, what is Paul saying here? Well, let's just, uh, let's just jump right into Scripture. If you've got your Bibles, uh, which I hope you do, turn to uh, Philippians 3. We finished up in chapter 2 last week. We'll be in uh, chapter 3. Just kind of covering the first half of the, the book today. And we'll pick up with the rest next week. Um, I think, I don't know if Scott mentioned last week. We kind of got away from the ESV a little bit. We're, he went New Living Translation on you. That's what I'm doing today. Um, we've kind of talked about different translations and flavors and things like that. So uh, that's where we're going to hang out today. Uh, let's just let's jump right in. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. 
For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Just threw a lot at you. We're going to kind of, kind of take a little piece at a time though, okay? Another one of our questions we've been talking about. Why is Paul saying this? Now, we're not going to try to you know, take all this at once. Let's just take a little snippet at a time, right? Paul is warning, if you pay attention, let's go back to the first part, and we'll read these verses again in a second. Paul's warning the church of Philippi about false teachers. Sounds a little crazy, but we'll get there in a second. Who hindered the spread of the gospel and encouraged the brothers and sisters to remain steadfast in the truth. Well, what do I mean by that? Go back to verses 1 through 3. Actually, the first part of 3. I'm going to reread this for you. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. All right, so false teachers, where does that come into play? Um, if you have a, and I don't know, hopefully you've taken some of the recommendations I know that Mark's made and, and Scott's talked about, about study Bibles, uh, whether whatever translation is you have. Um, we've been utilizing the life application study Bibles to kind of help with some of our preparation with this. And I've got some notes for you. I'm just going to kind of read through this really quick to kind of reference this first few uh, verses that we've got. Okay. Uh, from the life application study Bible as a safeguard, Paul reviewed the basics with these believers at Philippi. The Bible is our safeguard, both morally and theologically. When we read it individually and publicly in church, it alerts us to corrections we need to make in our thoughts, attitudes, and actions. Now, these dogs or these mutilators that he's talking about were very likely what people would call Judaizers. Kind of explain what that means. These are Jewish Christians who wrongly believed that it was essential for Gentiles to follow all the Old Testament Jewish laws, especially submission to the rite of circumcision in order to receive salvation. Many Judaizers were motivated by spiritual pride. Because they had invested so much time and effort into keeping their laws, they couldn't accept the law. Excuse me, they couldn't accept the fact that all their efforts couldn't bring them a step closer to salvation. That's a little easier for us to kind of digest that, right? Because we put our faith in Christ. We don't worry about works, but we got to put our minds, kind of go back to the culture here and a people who are so in tune with doing and, and being very rigid about the law. Uh, we're going to talk more about what Paul said about following the law as a Pharisee in just a little bit. But kind of try to bring your mind there to see kind of where what they're talking about. Uh, Paul criticized the Judaizers because they looked at Christianity backward, thinking that what they did, circumcision or cutting or mutilating the flesh, essentially is what that is when you boil down to it, made them believers rather than the free gift of grace given by Christ. What believers do is a result of faith, not a prerequisite to faith. It's very, very important to understand. This had been confirmed by the early church leaders at the Jerusalem Council uh, 11 years earlier. This is back in Acts 15, a little bit before where we were talking a little while ago. Now, that raises the question, who are the Judaizers of our day? They're those who say that people must add something else to simple faith. No person should add anything to Christ's offer of salvation by grace through faith. Now, let's hang, let's camp out here for a minute. Um, there are things that we do. And it is not, understand, it is not that we do those things in order to become closer to, a, to achieve or attain salvation, okay? We do things because we are saved, not in order to be saved. Do you understand what I'm saying? We do things because of the grace, not to get the grace. That's not the way that it works. We, if we are changed, we will act. We don't act in order to show that we're changed. Okay, now that can get a little tricky because if you remember Jesus says specifically himself, you'll know that by the fruit, right? 
Well, that doesn't mean that they try to make these things happen. And so that way they prove you know, that they're loyal or not or that they're Christians or not. It means that their fruit is evident by what's happened. Think about a plant, okay? I wasn't planning on saying this. It just kind of came to me. Um, which is probably the reason why he used this example. But, you know, if you've got a plant, whatever kind it is, um, you know, you water and you, you fertilize and all that kinds of stuff, you're giving it something, pouring into it. That's the grace that he's giving us, okay? That fruit comes as a result of that. Okay, does that make that example a little more clear? Okay. We get really caught up and it's, it's very, very, even within the church, capital C church, okay, the, the, the things that are bigger than beyond these four walls, we get so wrapped up in some of the, the things that we argue about within the church. Um, and really, there are some things that we just have to, there's different ways that we look at things. Uh, we have to understand that uh, students, if you remember from Fuse, we talked about our justification, our sanctification. We're at all kinds of, we, if, if we are saved, we are justified. We're all justified in Christ, okay? Now, we're all over the place, all over the map in our sanctification, right? You all understand that, students? You remember us talking about this? We're at different places, and we have to have grace with each other when we have those conversations. All right? Let's move on. Let's kind of look at a couple of points here. Uh, Paul starts off this whole uh, letter to Philippine. It's really a continuation of what he's been talking about. Um, rejoicing, having joy. So the point I would, I would make here is that joy in the Lord is at the core of the Christian. Paul never tired of sharing this joy of Christ with the brothers and sisters because it was ever present within him. Joy is at the core of the Christian. What that means is, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, that joy is there. All right? It's now, I'm, I'm, okay, let's, let's talk for a minute because I know there's all kinds of people in this room that are kind of like, well, wait a minute, joy's not there all the time for me, Right? Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we have our hard days. Does that mean you're not a Christian? No, it does not. Okay? It's a walk. It's a tough walk sometimes, but it's a walk with the Lord. So sometimes that joy doesn't feel so happy and all great, does it? But it's still there. Ultimately, it's what allows us to see through our circumstances and to focus on Him rather than you know, worrying so much about you know, just staying constantly deep, you know, entrenched in whatever it is that we're in, if it's, you know, you know, being buried underneath a pile of bills that you have a hard time paying, or if it's, you know, a, an illness or cancer or whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of things we see in our world today. Think about, even though this is hard for us to fathom, um, we talk about our, our brothers and sisters being persecuted across the world by ISIS. You know, we can't really fathom that, even though we've kind of had some stuff close to home, right? I mean, I still, I can vividly remember last year, the day of the shootings here in Chattanooga, we were at Fuge in Jackson and just being just in shock that that happened here in our hometown. I, I never, I've said this to several people, never ever thought I would live to see the day that Chattanooga, Tennessee was on CNN uh, for anything, but certainly not that. Uh, second point, even when we may be full of joy in the Lord and consistent in our faith walk, we will encounter those who hinder the spread of the true gospel message. This is where that the, the, old, the Judaizers came in in that time and, and era, okay? Um, understand, that the, the apostles, the people they were initially reaching were the Jews, right? The Jews who had been following those laws, who had said it was important to be circumcised. It was important to observe all these different things, to observe the law of Moses. Okay, It's not that those things were discredited. In fact, Jesus even said himself, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it, right? 
So he's not discrediting any of it. He's saying, I'm fulfilling that. So now put your trust in me, follow me. And that's what the apostles were trying to help these guys understand, even though, um, you know, the Jews, it's like they couldn't help but add, you know, well, you got to be circumcised. You got to do this and this and this and this. And sometimes we do that today, right? Now, I, I teach, you know, we talk about, like, with our students. I'm going to keep using them because those, you guys are my people, okay? Um, I love all the rest of you guys, but these, these are the guys that I'm invested in. Um, we talk a lot about, you know, baptism. We talk a lot about these things that we do. Um, does, we don't take anything away from or add anything to the saving grace of, of Jesus, okay? The work of the cross, it's done. But there are things that we do. Jesus showed an example of what we should do, things that we should do. I firmly believe that Jesus was baptized in, as a way to set an example that we should follow in that. Uh, some would disagree with me. Um, but uh, that's, you know, I think that's something that we should do. It doesn't necessarily make us saved, but it's something that we should do out of obedience to him. Okay? And there are all kinds of other things. I mean, it could be, you know, uh, we talked, I think Scott talked a lot last week about, um, you know, kind of, we worship kind of a certain kind of way. Y'all have this, I think we have a very contemporary feel here at Journey. It's just what we do. Um, a good example, I mentioned my folks a minute ago. Um, they, they, they worship at a church where it is, it's very, very different. They're, they will sing a cappella, which I love, by the way. Uh, but that's just what they do. And that's fine, right? It's all worship to the Lord. As long as it is your heart and your mind when you come into that and what you're offering that is really what makes the difference. Because if you come in here, and we're going to get to this towards the end. Um, if you're coming in and, and filling a seat this morning or any other time as you come in here, um, you can go through the motions. You can sing the songs. You could be listening to me right now or Mark or Scott or whoever. Um, but if, if your heart is not focused on Christ, there is some examination to be done. There is an issue that you need to consider. Okay? All right, let's move on. Why else is Paul saying this? Okay, we'll move on to the next part of Scripture. Paul exhorts the church of Philippi to rejoice in the Lord and to cling to the sufficiency of Christ alone in their lives, making Him their one and only treasure in this life. Really going to hit on that here in just a little bit. Let's uh, jump back into uh, the Scripture and reread some of it. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reasons for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul is laying it down and saying, You've, you say you're circumcised, you say you follow the law, this and that. Here's, here's the standard, okay? See if you can hit that. It's kind of what he's saying. Okay, let's look at some of our study notes here. At first glance, this is again from the Life Application Study Bible. Um, At first glance, it looks like Paul is boasting about his achievements. But he's actually doing the opposite, showing that human achievements, no matter how impressive, cannot earn a person's salvation and eternal life with God. Paul had impressive credentials, upbringing, nationality, family background, inheritance, orthodoxy, activity, morality. Uh, you have a few references that we can look at. Second Corinthians, Galatians 1, uh, for some of his other credentials. However, his conversion to faith in Christ in Acts 9, which I love this story, by the way, wasn't based on what he had done, but on God's grace. Paul did not depend on his deeds to please God, because even the most impressive credentials fall short of God's holy standards. Question for you and for me. Are you depending on Christian parents, church affiliation, or just being good to make you right with God? 
credentials, accomplishments, or reputation cannot earn salvation. Salvation comes only through faith in Christ. This is how we know that God's sovereign choice is at hand here. If you are familiar with the story in Acts 9, Saul's conversion, now we know him as Paul. The man was it was ravaging. He was persecuting the church. That is not a guy that has any desire to follow Jesus Christ at that point in his life. None. Now, is he trying to please God? Yes, because he thought he was, right? He was hanging with the law. He was doing what, the, what he felt that the law of Moses would require, the pharisaical um, you know, tradition in, in, in holding to that law would require that anything that was not of the law should be done away with, should, be, uh, should cease to threaten, if you will, okay? So in his mind, he's doing right. He's, he's putting out a fire, so to speak. Um, but Jesus had his plans, right? He meets him on the road to Damascus. Um, and it's, it's, it's sovereignty at its finest. It reminds us that God is, it is his sovereignty, it's his choice to involve us and nothing that we can do to earn his favor. I want to pull some things out for you um, with, Paul, with, Paul, with what Paul lays out. Excuse me. Things that counted to Paul or Saul uh, previously. I'll kind of sum this up in this little list. Uh, family heritage. Okay, he talked about being from the tribe of Benjamin, uh, from being a, a true Hebrew, as he says, if there ever was one. Social status, okay? Knowledge of the law. Now, I would equip this with biblical knowledge today. Let's kind of make this a little more relevant. So this is, that's the law we're talking about, not you know our, our local and state and federal laws. Not to say that you shouldn't know those, because you should, but we're talking about you know, biblically here. Uh, religious activity, that's being here. Going to youth group, BBS, you know, whatever, the men's and ladies' outings, uh, and also a moral lifestyle. Now, question. If you pay close attention to this list, you'll notice that if you if you isolate these by themselves, there's not really anything inherently bad about this, is there? I mean, think about it. You know, is there anything wrong with family heritage? No. Now, some of us, you know, depending on where you come from, you may not be crazy about it, but on the whole, it's not bad by itself, is it? Uh, social status. Now, this one gets a little sticky. Kind of, you know, depends on what you do with that. But um, social status by itself, not really a bad thing. Uh, knowledge. We said the knowledge of the law, but biblical knowledge here. Certainly, I mean, we are a faith community, right? We want to have biblical knowledge, do we not? Good thing. Uh, religious activity. And we'll just we'll, let's just re, re, let's retitle that church-related activity because a lot of times we some people you know will say, well, I'm religious or I'm not really religious. I'm just a Christian. You know, let's let's not debate that here. Um, d- church activities. Okay, let's just keep it simple. Uh, a moral lifestyle. Again, all good things. So what's the problem here? All right. Here's the thing. Paul is laying this out for us. All these different things. Number one, because it's what he experienced. But number two to lay out some of the things that we hold as what we would define as our earthly treasure. We put a lot of stock in these things. Okay. They may not be all five of them for you. You know, it may not, maybe, maybe you're, you know, trying to set a new uh, trend for your family's background or whatever. I don't know. Um, maybe your social status is improving or, or whatever. Um, but ultimately these are things by and large, especially in American society today that we cling to. Now, some who are not believers, you know, the, the church activity, religious stuff, they're not going to, really cling to that, but by and large, you would see some semblance of things that we count as important, right? Okay. Here's the point that Paul is trying to make here and that we're going to drive home in a little bit. It is very possible 
that these things in our life, these five things, or however you want to break this down, uh, things that are inherently good can truly be a waste in the end. That sounds kind of harsh, right? Let's, let's explore it a little bit deeper. If you go to John, 4, uh, John 14, it's one of my favorite verses because it really just lays out the truth. John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. Okay? How do, we, how do we reconcile that with those five things that we talked about? Matthew 7, if, and this is, we've heard this, and I think Mark actually read this one either in week one or week two, um, but this is one of the scariest pieces of Scripture if you really think about it. Um, when, we're at, when, you're, when you're trying to live a life that is um, associating Jesus or centered around Jesus, you know, if, if we're, we read this and we're like, man, this kind of freaks us out. Matthew 7, uh, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Why did I bring that in? We'll, we'll talk about it in a second. Let me, let me hit on the scripture for a minute. You see the use of the words, Lord, Lord. The, the translation there is that a, a repeat of a word like that, and it indicates heavy emphasis. So what that means is, is that those in, in that time and the way that language was, is that the emphasis there means that they are seriously considering Jesus as Lord, at least in, in verbally expressing that. Okay, That's kind of what that's talking about. So we understand what that is. And again, we see use of it after when they're essentially kind of defending themselves uh, in what Jesus is laying out when he's talking here in this, this passage. Um, but the point here is this, is that Jesus is talking to people who, whether it's through one of these five things, religious activity, you know, or the things that we hold dear, he's talking to people that think they are right with him. He's not talking to the non-believer, okay? Because who's he with? He's with his apostles, right? When he's having this conversation. So he's not talking with those on the outside, so to speak. He was talking with those, and he's not necessarily, you know, kind of call out any of the apostles right then and there, but he's he's reminding them that there are going to be those who say, or, or maybe even maybe even look at times like they are true followers, but if they don't know him, he doesn't know them. And I've heard it said. You know, if you go to a, a party or something, okay, and you've got it's one of those formal deals where you've got a, a list and you've got to be on the list, right? Um, Scott might be throwing a party and I might know him, okay, and we might be good. But if he doesn't know me, I'm not getting in. You understand? We could be tight and we can hang afterwards or whatever, but I'm not getting in to the, the grand party if he doesn't know me, which meaning he may know me, but if he doesn't put me on the invite, then, you know, forget about it, right? In making everything of Jesus, I want to kind of hit on this a little bit, okay? All these things we, we hold to be important, our family, uh, not just our family um, background, but just family in general. There are some very, very good people. Listen to me, church. There's very good people who are not believers, who are strong, have strong family ties, okay? We need to understand that. Is that an indication of the, the Christian? Absolutely. However, there are people that don't cling to Jesus Christ who would say that they have strong family bonds. Okay? So in that respect, they look similar to us, right? 
There are people too. Let me go back to my list here. There are people whose social status, you know, whatever. And a lot of that's a perception thing, right? Sometimes we think we're bigger than we really are. Or maybe, maybe others think we're better than we think of ourselves. Um, we cling to that to some degree. Uh, sometimes we in the church cling to that more than we should. And those that are outside the church cling to it as well. I don't know how many friends you have that are non-believers, but there are several that know a lot about the Bible, but they don't accept it as authoritative. They don't have any reverence for it. Huge difference. Okay. Some of it is, I don't know if you guys have any of those friends or people you work with that like, they just like knowing stuff. Uh, so they sound smart and they like, you know, they sound knowledgeable when you're talking to them or whatever. Um, sometimes it's just a game for them. They just want to, uh, maybe they want to engage, especially, I mean, there's some people, and this is sad, but it is what it is. Um, some people just like to win the knowledge game and especially somebody who is knowledgeable of scripture, even though they don't accept it as authority, they're just looking to trump the one who says that they do. What they don't understand is what goes back to the conversation I said a minute ago when I was talking about our students and views, we talked about sanctification. Um, it will back up to justification for a minute. You don't have to know the Bible inside and out in order to, to, to enter a relationship with Jesus Christ. Understand that. Okay. That happens as you go forward. Now, should you know certain things? Absolutely. You should have the gospel presented to you in such a way where it is the pure gospel message and you're responding in obedience to that. That is entering a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? Because you're not going to know who he is if you don't get that. But to know deeper, to know God more deeply, to know what Scripture teaches us, uh, New Testament or Old Testament, that comes, and we are all at different places with that. Okay? And that's okay. But again, the, the non-believer who, this is just a matter of trivial knowledge to them, um, they would look to stump you, and they feel like if they can, then maybe you're not authentic. And we're just not in the same place there. Um, I mentioned that, you know, obviously religious activity, a little more important to some of us who are in the faith community rather than those who are not, but a moral lifestyle. You can have some of the most moral people, some of the most decent appearing people in society today um, that by human standards are good people, but... They may not have Christ, right? And we know people like that. You work with people like that. You have people in your neighborhood like that. And students, you're going to have people in your schools like that. Okay? I mentioned it's very possible these things in our life that are inherently good are truly a waste in the end. Um, In making everything of Jesus, which should be our goal, okay? But in making everything of Jesus, we're talking about Scripture here. Scripture doesn't ask... Christ's subjects, that's us, by the way, does not ask his subjects how great we are, how good we are at doing different things. The question that Scripture leaves us with, no matter who we are, no matter how old we are, no matter what we're wearing, no matter what kind of worship we like, no matter how dedicated we may be or may not be, is this. It's not, what do you have? What have you done? What have you given me? It's, do you know me? Do you know Jesus? Okay? That's the question. I don't, wherever you're coming from, we're from all kinds of different backgrounds in here, and it's a beautiful thing. And I think I think a lot of us like that about our community here, right? Um, and it, that's, it's, it allows us to appreciate things more. But ultimately, we come in here. Do you do you know Jesus? That's the question that Scripture leaves. And when I say that, I don't mean, I'm talking to my students about this. It's not, did you come down front one time after responding to a message and like felt a card and, you know, you prayed a prayer and this kind of thing, okay? Do you know Jesus? And that sounds kind of, maybe kind of vague, and I don't mean for it to. But when I say know Jesus, do you know the gospel? Have you been presented with that? 
And you see how amazing this Savior is for us and for you. Okay? Do you know that? You'll learn these other things along the way. Okay? Think about, this is another example painted for my students. Uh, We talk about, you know, just a, a friend relationship. At some point... Whether it's in school or neighborhood, you know, whatever. Maybe here in the youth group, which is, and this has happened, and this has been great. Um, people just kind of like come together and are like, you know what? We're going to hit something off. We're going to be friends from this point forward. Whatever that looks like. I'm willing to bet that no matter which two people you put together in that situation, that they don't know everything there is to know about each other at that moment in time. Okay? I say that to say, that it's, it's a very practical application of the relationship with Jesus. Are there things you should know? Yes, there are. But you learn and you grow closer with him. If all the magic happens in the beginning, what's left, right? There is, there is goodness. There are good things to in, in learning more and growing more in our faith and in growing in closeness and holiness with Jesus. It's good that that doesn't all happen in the beginning because it's like, we're, I mean, think about the way he wires us. We want more, right? Even if it's geared incorrectly towards, you know, material stuff. We're always wanting more. And I think in that regard, to want more with Jesus is a good thing, don't you? I think it is. So it's, it's, it's okay to want to, to, to have more with him, and, and we should. Um, kind of another point here. Our family heritage, place in society our biblical knowledge, our activity within the church, and the way we live our lives are all important and good things. We've already talked about this. However, without Christ, they are but rubbish. That's tough. Think about all the work you put into your social status. Think about all of the... the family heritage doesn't happen overnight, guys. It's like you've got multiple generations you're looking at, Okay. Uh, my dad's got this really cool thing on his refrigerator. There's a picture where it's got, uh, what, is, what are we, about five or six generations of some of the Henderson men now? And that's just cool. Now, I don't know all the story with all of it, but I just know that that is an established thing. And it's something, I just think it's neat. But that's, that heritage doesn't happen in a quick thing. It takes time. It takes the work of the men and women in your family generations to build that up. Okay? We put a lot of stock in some of those things. We put a lot of... Uh, pride, sometimes misguided, but there's still, there's, there's a, an element of pride there. Okay. Um, let's talk about church activities for a minute. Um, I love our students. I love, and me and Steph both do. We love serving coming together with these guys every week on Wednesday. Uh, when we get to go to Fuse, when we get to do other stuff, we just love being with these guys. We love you parents that are involved. I, you know, I didn't really know what that was going to look like because we had had previous experience before with parents and some were just like not involved. And you're always going to have that. Um, But it was like it was pulling teeth just to try to make a connection. And we just we don't have that here. I mean, we've got parents that that love their kids. They love the Lord and they want to be involved. And it's just such a blessing. So we love that. But both myself and Steph and anybody else, any of our leaders, students and parents, um, what we do, the time that we invest in one another, at the end of the day, we put a lot of stock into it, right? But at the end of the day, it's not going to mean a hill of beans if it's absent of Christ. Okay? We have fun. And, and even like, I think about the car show. Mark, or Scott mentioned that earlier. 
You know, we do some things, we are intentionally doing things that are more fun because it builds our fellowship, it builds our relationships with each other. But ultimately, at some point, we are bringing it back to Christ, right? And that's, that, is, that is what we're supposed to be doing. Sometimes it's a slow, you know, we have a car show, we have a, you know, we're going to have um, you know, a, a fun day here in a couple of weeks, that kind of thing. Um, those are pure fun, but ultimately we guide to the gospel and to pointing people to Christ. So again, I tell you, without these, all these things we put our stock in, without Christ, they are but rubbish at the end. Uh, let's wrap up in Scripture. Last part of, uh, the, well, not last part of chapter 3, but last part of what we're going to cover today. Uh, this is verses 7 through 11. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I have become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Guys, do y'all look at this part of Scripture and just go, man, this is like really deep. And how do you, how do you wrap your mind around that? And think about, think about the author here. Think about Paul and the stuff he's gone through. Uh, we mentioned a little while ago what happened at Philippi before this, um, this revisiting, if you will, this writing of these letters. Which, by the way, where's Paul right now? Everybody remember? He's in prison, right? Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's ironic almost to us to talk about joy when you're behind bars, or at least on house arrest, as we've kind of talked about uh, in this situation with him. He's at least, he's essentially imprisoned no matter what, how you look at it. So joy for us is usually not the forefront um, in a situation like that. All right. But that's where he is. Paul is like, and it's, it's so, it's not ironic. This is, this is the way worship and services work, right? You see truth in the, the songs that we sing and it ties together with our messages. I mean, we talked about a little while ago in singing, uh, you know, lead me to the cross. Um, you're forsaking these things. This is exactly what Paul is talking about. Count them all as lost. Think about earlier on, you know, we sing, I am set free. And I think about Paul here. Paul's like the most free guy in scripture we meet, right? I mean, think about it. You have, you could, you could have Paul and you think, have the guys that, you know, whether it's the Romans or whoever it is uh, that are trying to imprison him or harm him. And they could be like, you know, we're going to kill you. And he goes, all right, we're going to, I'm going to go home. Cause he's, he knows he says in scripture specifically, he's like, I want to be with Jesus. So if I get killed, I'm going to be with Jesus. So good thing. And they go, well, you know, we're going to kill you. We'll let you live. Well, to live is Christ, right? So he's, he's throwing that back at him. They said, well, we're going to beat you. And he says, well, that's, that's sharing in the sufferings of Christ. I guess I'm okay with that. Um, and they said, well, we're going to throw you into prison. He said, go ahead. Cause I'm going to com- I'm going to convert all your guards and probably most of the prisoners. You can't touch this guy, can't you? And it's just, it's so, it's, Obviously, it's the providence of God that he is the author and used in this way um, to write these letters, these epistles to these people, uh, to the churches, to the, um, the early leaders that he's encouraging, like Timothy, uh, which we read about elsewhere. Um, it's, you, you see nothing but God's providence in this. And Paul is constantly, how is he so untouchably free? It's because in all situations, he's pointed all back to Christ. He's pointed all back to the gospel. And he will... He, will set up the gospel and if you pay close attention, like if you get into Colossians, even back in you know, Galatians, he sets up the gospel and says, now then do this. You know, here's the gospel we laid out. Now, because of this, this is what you do, right? 
So, and again, that goes back to the message we had early on, which was, which was it is God's doing. It's the, the work of Jesus on the cross. And we, because of that, we are what we are. We do what we do. We don't try to reverse that. Okay? All right, let's continue. Um, life application study notes. Just to kind of add a little bit here, and we're going to wrap up in just a minute. Uh, Paul gave up everything. Family, friendship, and freedom in order to know Christ and his resurrection power. We too have access to this knowledge and this power, but we may have to make sacrifices to enjoy it fully. What are you willing to give up in order to know Christ? Crowded schedule in order to set aside a few minutes each day for prayer and Bible study. Uh, Your friend's approval. Students talked about this. Some of your plans or pleasures. Whatever it is, knowing Christ is more than worth the sacrifice. Guys, we're busy, okay? We talk about that. We, for some weird reason, we kind of like to trump each other, like, I'm busier than you, and I'll lay out, you know, how I've used up my, however many waking hours I have. And there's always somebody that can trump that, right? They're like, oh, I've got this going on. Um, and so we're busy, okay? And it's not to say that you're spending time on unfruitful or unimportant things, because you are, but the, the point of the matter is, is that all that can be a waste in the end. I mean, is it important? Yeah, for that time. But if you don't undergird that with Christ in your life, it's going to end up being a nothing. It might take care of something temporary, but in the end, what's, what's it worth? Um, this brings us to one of the, kind of the important point here. What is the transferable principle? This is kind of what we talked about. What is the, the truth that we glean from this that maybe, whether it's the exact intended message to that people at that time, and how does it transfer to today? All these things we've talked about, we put all our stock in and how they are rubbish without Jesus. Transferable principle. In Jesus Christ, we have found something that is worth losing everything for. God help us to bring that back to the front of our minds in our faith walks. We have found something that is worth losing everything for in Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. We got work schedules. I mean, I think, I'm, I'm so glad to see Tracy up here in the front. I know he's back for a little bit and he's going to hit the road again. Um, and he's supporting for his family. Ultimately, I know he knows because I've gotten to know his family a little bit. He, know, he knows what's important. Okay? And I know in, in relationships with a bunch of you guys that you do as well. And it's a struggle sometimes. I mean, I know, I mean, you can oversleep. And it's like, well, that was, that was my devotional time, right? Now what do I do? I've got to get to work or I've got to get the kids to school or I've got to, you know, do whatever. Um, Always make sure there's things that we do throughout our day. There's things that are important. There are things, uh, whether it's at a, at a higher level, you know, things that we put our stock in, you know, our, our status and things like that. Um, but ultimately, it means nothing without Christ. And ultimately, in Christ, it's all worth giving up. All of it is worth giving up. So how do we apply this principle to our lives today? Okay. Well, I want to, in doing this, I want to revisit some of those things that we said that Paul kind of brought out. Um, I would say, I would say this in your family heritage and tradition, continue to hold actionable values in to that honor Christ in your own life and in raising your children. And if no foundation seems to exist to you in your family heritage, start this now. What I mean by that is this actionable values. I mean, things where you say, yeah, this is important, but you actually, it, it, you see it in your action, right? Because it's one thing to say, well, yeah, I believe this is, but if it doesn't show, then it doesn't mean anything, right? 
that's kind of what James is talking about, about our, our faith with, you know, with our, our, without deeds, our faith is dead. It's not to say that faith isn't enough. What he's saying is that faith is active. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. Actionable values, things you say are important. Let it show in the way you act. Okay, and the end part of that. Um, this may be in, in an American sense. You know, well, that doesn't have to be American. But let's, if you perceive that your family is not uh, Christian in uh, nature or by association or whatever that looks like for you, obviously you you don't find an appreciation for Christ early on, do you? That's what I mean by if you don't see that you don't see that foundation, start it now and let it go forward. Um, I think about our good friend Moji. I know he's not here today, but um, you know, Moji comes from, if you ever hear his testimony, he comes from an Islamic background. And that's, he was a Muslim. And he found, you know, he met Jesus one day and he's faithfully followed ever since. So that was the reality for him, starting that, keeping it going forward and walking with Christ from that point. Uh, secondly, make whatever you perceive your social status about Jesus, excuse me, make whatever you perceive to be your social status all about Jesus, Okay. I don't care what job it is that you have. I don't care if it's if to you it seems lowly or if it seems like a big deal. Okay? Make it about Jesus. Don't think, oh, I don't make enough money or, oh, I don't enjoy my job. And don't get me wrong, guys. That's a reality and I get that. But how can you honor Christ in that is what I'm saying. Okay? If you're working at Burger King or McDonald's right now and you're honoring Christ into it, great. There's more value in that than getting paid six figures and you've got, you've got nothing at the end of the day, is there not? That's what I'm talking about. Make that all about Christ. Whatever you perceive, and like I said, social status most of the time is a perception thing, right? Whether it's you or whoever else is considering you. Make that about Jesus. Let others see Jesus shining through you when they're looking at you in a certain kind of way. Third, uh, be intentional in growing in knowledge and understanding of the Bible for the purpose of becoming more like Christ. Like we said, we're believers. Biblical knowledge is important. But for the purpose of growing to be like Christ. That is what this story interwoven of Scripture is. It is all pointing to Jesus, and that is what we should be doing with it. Not trying to win a trivia contest, okay? Or trying to beat each other up with biblical knowledge, which sadly does happen in the church, by the way. Okay? Don't let that be your goal just to know more than somebody. Know more and become more like him. A fourth, serve Christ by serving his bride, the church. Make him the object of your service and engage in church activity with him as the prize and not merely to become a part of a church program. Here's what I mean. Church, you know, we're, and we ask, and I know Scott mentioned this last week, talking about, uh, you know, being community and unity, and we ask people to serve. It is not because, I mean, yes, do we need help? Absolutely. But... It's not because we're just trying to recruit or make you feel bad if you don't do it. It is to get it's there is I can't tell you what you're missing out on if you don't serve. And we're our our society is constantly pointing us to go out for number one, right? So service is like taking back seat. But that's not what I mean, Christ says, I came not to be served, but to serve. That's what we should do. Okay? And finally, live a moral lifestyle, but do so because you love Jesus and realize that's because you know he first loved you. Again, we can have some of the most morally upright people 
in society today, in our, in our working environments, in our schools, neighborhoods, whatever. But absent of Christ, that's all going to mean nothing one day for them. And that's not, guys, that's not a judgmental thing. That is, we accept the truth and authority of Scripture. That is what it says, basically, if you take it as a whole. Without Christ, it's all nothing. I want to make a few points in addition to this, and we'll wrap up. Um, think about, uh, I don't know if you guys, uh, if you're on Facebook or, you know, whatever, uh, seen kind of this, these reports of this, uh, uh, this listing that ISIS is throwing around about these. There's, uh, some, what, what 15,000 American Christians are they're, they're headhunting now. Um, and that's, that's scary, right? But think about, seriously, a lot of times we don't think that whether it's cancer, whether it is, um, you know, any kind of disease, any kind of situation, we never think that we're going to be the one dealing with it. We're always thinking about how to help somebody else deal with it. What would you do if you knew your name was on that list? Seriously. You've got somebody coming, and I, you know, this seems a little extreme, but realistically, I mean, we know that these, these things have been happening. We know of people, I mean, here in Chattanooga, they've been killed uh, by these people. What if you knew your name was on that list? And that you may, you may be a lot closer to being killed for your faith than you thought. Now, we're not in Syria. We're not in Israel. We don't, we don't think about that. But it's, it's a reality we have to consider. Scripture very clearly in, in, a, in, a, in a simple sense, says it's going to get worse before it gets better, right? And so um, that's something we have to consider. Another challenge I would give you, um, guys, I love this church, and I, I think most of you do too. There's all kinds of stuff we look forward to. Uh, we look forward to our friends and our family that we, that we see in here. Um, I, I, I love, you know, like I said, I love seeing our students on Wednesdays. I love seeing them here on Sunday mornings. Um, I love getting to connect with, you know, with Mark and Scott and, and Richard and just kind of talk about, you know, what's going on in our ministries. And you know, when we have our, our time together in staff and things like that, um, I love, love, love being able to share this with my wife and for us to be together in this. Um, so there's all kinds of uh, reasons that we love, you know, about our church family. But think about this. What if Sunday morning, for whatever reason, um, you, you could be single, you could be, just, you know, a, a couple, whatever. Or, you, could, you know, if we're in a family, let's say for whatever reason, you end up coming to church by yourself, okay? Um, you're thinking about all the stuff you're looking forward to. Like, if you know, I'm waiting for, you know, part six of Philippians next week. I don't know, whatever. Um, you know what the set list is. And you're looking forward to singing that song because you resonate with it. Um, but you come in and there's nobody here. And I'm just going to use Tracy because he's like dead center in front of me. But there's somebody sitting here. And you're, you, you never want to, you want to always have, to have as much space as you can. So you're probably going to sit about halfway back because you don't want to get that close to somebody. Um, and so you sit back there. But then you realize uh, with all the stuff you were expecting that morning when you came in, that the one person who is sitting in front of you, when they turn around and look at you, is Jesus himself. Now, I know that's a crazy example, but just hang with me. Would that be enough? Would that be enough for you? I paint it that way because of this. There are so many, and this is some of the way our gospel presentation comes off, and we have to be very, very careful about this. Um, so many people look forward to getting to heaven one day, but they don't want Jesus to be there when they get there. They just want all the stuff that's good for them, right? Yeah. And so we have to, 
have to be careful with that. Is Jesus, not just then, but here and now, is he enough? Is he enough? And is he the one true treasure in this life and forever for you? Let's pray together, guys. Father God, I'm just so thankful again for what the truth that you have for us in your word. So thankful for this opportunity to come together and just to to love you and to serve you and to worship you together. To go into your word together and and see what what you have uh, used one of your one of your called people um, to present. To, to write in uh, uplifting a church back in those days, but the, the truth that, we, that it has for us today. God, I'm so thankful uh, just for this church family and the opportunity to serve you in it. God, we do thank you for the things that are important to us. But God, we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus. God, help us to view him as the one true treasure in our lives that undergird everything else and help him to be the one thing in our lives that we can certainly look at and say he is worth losing everything for. God, we love you and we praise you. And Lord, I pray if there are any in this room today uh, where this reality hasn't sunk in yet, uh, God, that uh, that they they're wrapped up in the different things that Paul talked about and all the importance is placed there. But God, they if they really examine themselves, as Paul indicates in, in the letter to the Corinthians, to examine ourselves and see if we're in the faith and what that means is, do we know Jesus Christ? If they've come to the realization that they don't, God, please, please don't let them delay a moment further and help them to make that right with you. And I say to you, any in this room, if if there are any that, if that's you today, don't wait another day. If you need to talk with somebody, you can come and see me after the service. Scott's also available. Or any, if you have a small group leader that you've been with, uh, or just even a friend here in this church family that you've confided in, let someone know that you need to make that right and to do so today. God, we thank you. We thank you for your son and what he did for us on the cross. And it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.